Hi everyone, this is episode 11 of season 3 and I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi Matt. Hi Catherine, hope you're keeping well. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Yes, 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 good. Good, thank you very much indeed. Looking forward to some heat at some stage. Absolutely. No more rain. We are focusing today on type 1 diabetes. We're going to be chatting through some statistics, learning about what diabetes is and some of the terms that you might expect when you apply for protection insurance. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Matt, I know you managed to get away for a a week's um, holiday recently. I was going to say, is it do, do I dare say the, the is it the band word of staycation? You had a staycation. I think there's going to be people cringing at me using that word. It's, it's, it seems to be something that people love or hate. It was it was very much a staycation. Thank you. Down in the down in the Cotswolds, where um, where I was born and spent the first forty years of my life. So um, it was it's nice to get home and and uh, and see all the family as well. So thank you very much. Definitely a staycation. Brilliant. kept it legal yeah <laughs> no I'm really glad that you've managed to to get that we just had um, a few days off last week um just to like, have a little bit of a chill out very very well deserved chill out and um and it was just it felt good it felt good to just be sort of like a bit relaxed and also I have incredibly exciting news that I, I'm sure I'll be sharing lots on social media that people will see is that we are getting a puppy in a couple of weeks so 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 excited I've never had a dog before and um very very excited we're going to go collect him in a couple of weeks time what type of dog are you going to get Catherine we're getting a cockapoo oh yeah 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 Yeah. so Alan's allergic to everything even me sometimes (laughs) um so we have to go for one that is hyperallergenic and um you know obviously it's it's really hard though we tried to rescue a dog and it was so so hard because obviously the first thing we have to do is make sure that we get a breed that is considered I know no no dogs are actually hypoallergenic but we had to get one that was as hypoallergenic as possible um but then the other thing is obviously I've got the the boys who are three six and nine and the problem is is that whenever you're looking to rescue is that then they don't seem to I couldn't find anywhere that was prepared to save for children under the age of 10 which is obviously as well completely understandable um because you just don't know and it's that kind of thing well I, I wouldn't want to risk getting a dog it may be lovely but unless I know for definite that it's going to be okay with kids. I wouldn't want to obviously risk bringing it into the home. And um, yeah, so that sure, would be sure. a bit of a shame, but at the same point, we're doing what's best for, for what we can do. And, um, and we're going to give, I'm going to call him Fudge. So we're going to give Fudge <laughs> a lovely hello. Fudge, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about a big sugary treat just before we start talking about uh, type 1 diabetes and <laughs> glucose and everything. So... Oh, dear. Just to sort of set the scene for everybody. So the first thing we're going to do is just go into a little bit of some statistics and just explain a little bit, kind of like probably a bit of a high level thing about uh, how di- what diabetes is and how it works. And then Matt, obviously, I know you'll know far more of the ins and outs of all this stuff. So I'll be quizzing you as we go along as well. Excellent. So just to give everybody a bit of a background, so type 1 diabetes. So that is um, an autoimmune condition where essentially the body, the cells in the body start to attack the pancreas. So essentially you've got blood glucose, which is the sugar levels in your blood. And for people who are type one diabetic, the sugar levels are too high. And what it means is that the body cannot make the hormone insulin. And insulin is essential because what it does is it breaks down the sugar in the blood so that it can be absorbed um, within the body. And without the insulin, the sugar just keeps building up. It can have some quite long-term implications for the heart, 
eyes, feet and kidneys. So it's really important that people with type 1 diabetes are hopefully diagnosed as early as possible um, and also able to start their, their treatment quite early. I actually have um, a friend of mine who was um, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It was in her mid to late, thir- uh, mid to late 20s, actually. It was after we'd been to university together and I was absolutely amazed that in a sense, it hadn't been picked up that early. So it's not just, we do hear about it being diagnosed in people who are young, but it is also as well, and um, people who are starting to get more into adulthood that are diagnosed. It's estimated at the moment, there's about 3.8 million people living with diabetes within the UK. And there's possibly about an extra 500,000 people that have diabetes and do not know it. So that's something as well for all the advisors who are listening to just bear in mind that that is a lot of people that you could potentially come across and talk to that would have diabetes. And in that full amount of people, it's thought that there's somewhere between 5 and 15% of diabetics have type 1 diabetes. So if we go nicely in the middle at 10%, then that is roughly 380,000 people in the UK. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that you're going to come across probably at some point. I think it'd be very rare for an advisor to advise their entire career and never come across somebody who is diabetic. It may be type 2 diabetes, and some of the things we're talking about today will kind of translate over to type 2 diabetes as well. But today we're just focusing on the type 1 side of things. So Matt, I suppose the key thing for me really is to start asking you is, you know, if I were to come to you and say, I have a client who has type 1 diabetes, what is it that you are wanting to know from an underwriting side of things? Okay, one of the one of the key um, risk factors that underwriters look for in cases of diabetes, particularly type 1, is the control of the condition. Um, and it, it's actually good to hear and see that um, the, the pharmaceutical companies have made uh, life uh, easier for a diabetic to actually control their condition and get um, early signs if they're going to have something called a hyper, hyperglycemic attack where the blood sugar is too high in the body or indeed a, a hypo glycemic attack where the blood sugar is too low um, and being able to get an early warning that um, one of these conditions subconditions uh, may happen or is starting to happen is, is absolutely ideal because that gives the the diabetic the person um, early warning that they can do something about it and that could well be of course taking more insulin it could well be um, eating uh, carbohydrate, taking some extra carbohydrate on board, um, but it allows them some control. And you've, you've touched on, uh, in terms of what underwriters look for, a control. Um, a key uh, method or a key laboratory test that helps us understand that control is something called an HbA1c test and that's go that that stands for glycosylated uh, hemoglobin and what that does is allows the underwriter to have a view of the control of the blood sugars within the body over a period of two to three months um, you will often see uh, blood sugar or blood glucose tests in gp reports um, but that's only a snapshot it's only a snapshot of a given time and you know on the basis that you and I are not diabetic our, our blood sugars go up and down um, all the time um, and therefore a snapshot of, it, of a given time of the day isn't that useful 
Fasting blood sugars are often seen as well, where the person's asked to, 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 to fast for anything between six and 12 hours before. And that gives us that that takes out the or minimizes the risk of um, a blood glucose being too high because of a recent meal. But again, it's a snapshot. The key one for us is the is the glycosylated hemoglobin. So that's HbA1c. And that takes a um comes up with a reading of the blood control over so blood sugar control over a period of around two to three months. So that's 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 very important and control is very important uh, predictor of um, diabetic complications, which you have already mentioned um, a few of. In terms of the underwriting, then yes, those complications and the presence of those complications is very, very important indeed. And uh, I always remember one of my um, late, great and very early mentors, the great Dr. Brackenridge, always saying, use this lovely term, which, um, which I've not forgotten in 40 years, is, is that um, diabetes is an atherosclerotic accelerator. What a mouthful that is. That is, Effect- yeah. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, effectively, all that means is, and you've touched on it yourself early, earlier on, um, that... Um, Diabetes actually hardens the arteries, uh, hardens the blood vessels, makes them less stretchy. Um, and that type of, um, it, 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 it's often not just in any particular organ in the body, although you've talked about a number and we'll go into it a little bit later on, but it's, it's, it can be every organ in the, sorry, blood vessel in the body. Um, and obviously the blood vessels in the major organs, if you have a problem with those, then you, you're going to have a problem full stop. And if, the most common one that we see with diabetics certainly is retinopathy, which is the, um, the, 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 the vessels in the back of the eye where they become sclerosed, hardened, in other words. And you, you'll often see those come up in medical examinations, particularly with diabetics who have had the condition for many many years now the presence of i'm sorry catherine no no it's the two versions to retinopathy because there's background retinopathy yeah there's background retinopathy and four retinopathy is that right no no i'm sorry there are four different classifications of retinopathy proliferative retinopathy is the one that is the worst okay um and you you at the stage of becoming blind when you get that and it is is an indicator that the um, individual has found it very very difficult to control their diabetes um so is, is that okay there's one yeah. two three four the, the first one the mild um, retinopathy um, one class one if you like or grade one um you you expect to see that in particularly in older people um and it would not um, create an additional loading from an, from, from an underwriter. Um, when you get to two, um, there's more of a concern. When you get to four, then, then there is a one heck of a concern. Because yeah. as I said, the proliferative retinopathy is an indicator, obviously, in the back of the eye, mm. but you don't know where the damage has been done in the rest of the body as well. I suppose that's it, a, an indicator, it's not, isn't it? Because if we talk about that, like you said, the atherosclerosis, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a lot to do as well. Like you said, with the blood vessels, so probably leading towards sort of like potentially increased risks of heart attack. Is it with 
Yes, 100%. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, 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 unfortunately, people with diabetes and have got coronary artery disease, which, as you know, can lead to heart attack, um, are uninsurable currently in the, in the UK market. Um, but the underlying issue there being, of course, that they, they are likely to have widespread arterial disease. Okay. Um, one of the ones that um, certainly cropped up in my reinsurance days was um, uh, problems with the kidneys. Yeah. Um, and, and there again, you've um, got the micro vessels that control your kidneys, who, which are so important to, uh, to everybody. Um, they get damaged. And what happens is that the filtration system of the kidneys actually um, means that protein or albuminuria, you may have heard of that term, um, seeking out into the urine. And again, that can be indicative of um, uh, diabetic complications and underwriters will again look at that um, as a sign of possible widespread arterial disease actually caused by caused by diabetes yeah. now i would i do appreciate as you said we're talking at type one yeah. diabetes today but with type 2 diabetes just a couple of sentences with type 2 diabetes it's often the case where on type 1 the initial symptoms of having diabetes are pretty obvious mm. You, become, you can become very, very ill and very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, with type 2 diabetes, that's not the case. Some people can go through, uh, have di type 2 diabetes for many, many years before actually being diagnosed. And the challenge with that is that you'll find that a lot of people with type 2, I say a lot, a decent number statistically of people with type 2 will already have complications because they've not known they had diabetes and therefore didn't control it. Yeah. No, obviously, it means so, they've not had that. It's it's like with anything I've seen, as I said before, you know, I've got a few health conditions. So I know it, it sounds daft, but, you know, if I look at my mum who didn't have the health conditions diagnosed, they've been diagnosed through me and then back through, sorry, hereditary to my mum. She's yeah. had so many years of just kind of like dealing with things and just carrying on as if, you know, just thinking that she was kind of making things up, you know, as to, as to how she was feeling and how her body felt. And so she's ended up with quite a few knock-on complications. Whereas, it's like for me, you know, obviously diagnosed at age of twelve, I've been able to do a lot of things to yeah. hopefully mitigate. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. mitigate any issues. Can I take us back very quickly to the HbA1c thing? So I think, as an advisor, you know, if I see somebody and they come to me and they've got type one, oh, sorry, well, any diabetes, the first thing I want, I need to say to them is, what's your HbA1c? I, I really can't do. I can't, I can do research, but I can't give you any kind of clear indication until I have that HbA1c. So I'd be saying for that, I'd want to know blood pressure readings, cholesterol readings as well, just sort of like try and get them all in one go and make sure that we really keep that information and the stuff that the underwriters will see. With HbA1c's though, they have changed the readings with them, haven't they? Not, maybe it was a couple of years ago now, because it used to be that you'd maybe get, I don't know, five or um 6.2 or something whereas now you'll maybe get something like 48 or you know so it's, it's, quite, <laughs> unit, difficult. You <laughs> yeah, it's quite difficult because isn't it like when you say like 48 something like is it m m o l yeah reading with that and then the Willy other Mo one really moles per liter in other words you know yeah, again a bit of a mouthful <laughs> can you just explain to us sort of like the difference in those two reading types please because that could be something that could really you know, in some ways, if somebody thinks, oh, well, I know that the insurers are OK if it's underneath this. And I don't know. Let's just say if it's underneath seven or something. I know there's not really going to be 
you know, too much of an issue. But wow, this person's got 48. There's no way. You know? But then actually it's because they're looking at the different um, reading classifications that are being used now. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I can't actually explain it to you without doing the research myself. Oh, okay. so, so there you go. So I was putting you on the spot there like that then. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, I, I completely agree with you in terms of the underwriting scenarios. Then um, when um, the more unusual, I mean, if you see evidence from America, USA, for instance, they, they, all of their clinical laboratory levels are a different unit. Mm. the ones that are used in um, in the UK or generally used in the UK um, but I think I think what you do with that is yes is, is, is Google I'm sorry yeah. I don't think I've got a better answer for you on that or or go to one of say the great Dr Brackenridge's books mm. that I know um, does, does uh, it compares different units um, together so you can have an idea in terms of in terms of the when you ask a client um i think the the, the tenth the one that used to used to be is standard in the uk is, is mmol slash l so it's mm. millimoles per liter and you know you, you talked about readings there and they've, as i say what you mentioned that they've changed i think that's really just rather depends on the laboratory that's doing the testing and the parameters that they're used to. So. In terms of the clinical judgment, then really with HbA1c, you're looking at anything, um, and this is in millimoles, by the way, um, mm. normal between is between 4 and 5.6. Pre-diabetes, which is something you probably picked up on with mm. clients, 5.7 to 6.4. That's particularly common in type 2 diabetes. Um, and then you've, you've got an almost definite diagnosis of um the diabetes is over 6.5 so i think it's important those, as well are the milli, those are the sorry catherine those are the millimole readings and if they came up in any different way again i'm afraid i would have to do a bit of research on that no 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 that's right i mean i was going to say something i think is really important to say to advisors as well when they are um listening to that because especially with you mentioning like the pre-diabetes as well which is say it, it is more of the type 2 diabetes um if it's somebody is pre-diabetic then go straight into your usual question set that you would ask of somebody who is diabetic. Absolutely. Because, you, know, you know, with insurers, they will, I'm not, I don't want to just say this too broadly or to make too blank a statement, but generally if somebody's pre-diabetic, they're probably going to be assessed very similarly to, if not the same way that somebody who is diabetic is going to be assessed. Um, so just make sure that as soon as you hear, obviously, the word diabetes, and also as well, if somebody's obviously had gestational diabetes as well, yeah. you want to know um, what's happening with that. Because some people, um, I've had somebody not long ago where they had gestational diabetes and the doctor said, well, you can never recover from diabetes. So now you are type two diabetic, um, which is a very, that kind of felt quite strange to me, actually, hearing that because I thought, well, hang on a minute, it's, I, d I didn't. Maybe I'm wrong, Matt. I mean, maybe that is. Maybe you do automatically become a type two diabetic when you've had gestational diabetes. I don't think that was the case. No, I, um, I would agree. Do I, I? Don't believe that is the case. No, but then obviously for that person's medical records, it Indeed. was. It's difficult because obviously it's a case of well, actually, so no, that person is. You know, the GP is saying that. You know, and as an advisor, you're like, well, I don't think that's the case. But I can't if that's what the GP is saying and they're sticking to the guns with it. That's yeah. a problem. I mean, I think as a as a general view. Um, and it, what I'm about to say has to be taken in context, but I think, you know, GPs are human beings. They all have 
different views, not hugely different views, but different views on, on conditions and so on and so forth. Um, and I always think it's right to challenge. Yeah. Um, if the GP is sticking by his guns, then the underwriter has always got a his or her own opinion. Yeah. And also they will have a bank of chief medical officers who are often consultants, either working for the insurer or working for the reinsurer. Mm. And as long as one of those or several of them say, you know, whatever the GP says, this is not technically diabetes, then you don't rate as such. I think with just on gestational, if, if you took a thousand ladies who've had gestational diabetes against a thousand ladies who hadn't, mm. then there is a greater risk of people with, uh, with the ladies with gestational to go and get diabetes later on. Yeah. But I would have to say, statistically, it's it's not a huge difference. No, no, I can't. So, I can't so you know, I, I kind of maybe see where the the doc, the, the GP was coming from, but. Yeah. You know, what you do need to do is obviously gestational diabetes is, in my opinion, although, again, I've had a case recently um, where the uh, insurer disagreed, is uh, you know, that they should be followed up. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because of that risk. Um, sometimes insurers think just because somebody's being followed up, then they are at greater risk, which yeah. I don't believe. Prevention is better than cure. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I'm that person, though, that I would literally, if someone could give me an MRI every year, I'd be like, yeah. wait, just give me the MRI, you know, do the blood yeah. every year. Thank you. Let's just, <laughs> I'm, absolutely, I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. Prevention, absolutely a much better thing. So I know yeah. we've talked about, um, we've talked about the heart, the eyes and the kidneys a bit. Um, so I know I mentioned as well the feet. Now, I, I think that falls under potentially the aspect, is it of neuropathy? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's really the term is where the, the, the nerves uh that get damaged through the complications of diabetes um and sadly um some cases lead to gangrene yeah um amputation um but again it's indicative if i just go back to it's indicative of there, there won't just be damaging damage in the feet there'll be damage elsewhere as well i think that's very Coexist, coexisting um, issues without any shadow of a doubt um, but you know that, that's again the feet are a, a, an area which are very high up on the in the diabetic clinics mm. you know the nurse um, will always check the feet the person who has got diabetes will be always asked to check their feet themselves mm. and that's why um, you get a lot of podiatrists um, people who cough to feet you know um, and they have a lot of clients who are diabetics because they're, they're, they're encouraged to go and, um, you know, keep, keep the feet in as best health they possibly can. The last thing you want to do is obviously get gangrene. And, yes. um, and um, yeah, not, not I, nice. I, was say, I can't imagine. I, I was going to say, I think all the complications that we've talked about at the moment, none of them sound, obviously, we've got gangrene, we've got blindness, we've got heart attacks. Um, Strokes, and I, and kidney disease, yeah. yeah it's that there seems obviously there are so many different complications so you can understand in, in some ways why insurers obviously do want to make sure that they they have a really good idea of the potential risk how that person is um monitoring and engaging with their health and taking steps to try and do as much as possible to try and prevent those things i think um Obviously, when it comes to, to say like life insurance in general, you know, for, for most people with diabetes, there's there's probably going to be an offer 
um, for a lot of people. And especially, I think, you know, when we're looking at type one diabetes, that's well controlled. Um, one thing that I was going to ask about, and I think we probably answered it already is obviously about critical illness cover. So, you know, critical illness cover on the standard market isn't available for people with type one diabetes. And one of the things that we try to advocate for a bit, um, we're sort of like trying to say, well, look, if you can't cover somebody because of this, then why not exclude that? And then offer them the rest to so say, like, as an example, you know, actually I can talk about Parkinson's, you know, if somebody can't get critical illness cover because of their Parkinson's, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're at any less risk of getting cancer. So why not offer them, you know, a certain, maybe offer them critical illness cover with, but with the neurological um, side of things excluded, which I know that that for some people would say, well, mm, I'm not sure. But for me, it's that kind of situation. It's better them to have something than nothing. And obviously cancer is such a high risk um, that maybe, you know, sometimes thinking about offering those exclusions could be, could be worthwhile in some situations. It'd be interesting to chat to people, perhaps maybe some, um, you know, people who are developing different products as to whether or not that could be potentially a choice. And not saying though that you have to have an exclusion. Um, I did arrange, well, I was going through a, a got um oh, was it? I was advising somebody with Parkinson's um a couple of years ago and they'd wanted critical illness cover and it was possible to for their situation to get it but with the um just with Parkinson's excluded so I just want to put it out there that I'm just using that as an example for, for what I'm saying um but there are options so so don't run down straight down that route um but I'm when we like are... sorry for what, for what it's worth I, I um have a lot of sympathy with what you yeah. say I, I certainly believe, certainly with kick, critical illness, in other words, that um, insurers should do their best to provide some kind of cover rather than nothing at all. Sometimes it's pretty difficult. Mm. Um, I, th I think with type 1 diabetes, I've probably covered between us all mm. of the complications that you can get. Um, but so, it strips out so much, doesn't so it? Much. And, and to be honest, I have read that, um, again, statistically speaking, um, the people with type one diabetes are at a higher risk of getting cancer. Right. Okay. okay so, so that kind of rules out that one as well, doesn't it? You know what I mean? So, so yeah. diabetes is, a, is a type one diabetes. It probably gives a, an insight to how difficult it is to actually give any form of meaningful cover. You've taken out heart attack, you've taken out stroke, you've taken out some um, cancer. And I think that's where, yeah. The insurance industry struggles at the moment. But I think yeah. in terms of the principle that you talk about, I totally and utterly agree with you. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's, it's, well, thank you. Um, right. I think it's, um, it is a, a difficult one when you're looking at all those different bits that it could potentially, as, you know, it's that whole thing, isn't it? Is that, you know, the, the body is a, it's an interconnected system. And yes, if you've got, you know, higher blood sugar, it doesn't just go to the heart, which is what we typically think of as, you know, potentially high risk of, you know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart attacks, it is affecting everywhere and it's going into all the organs. Um, so it, it is a very tricky one. Obviously, um, for people who are part of an employee um, group insurance, yeah. um, not necessarily specifically critical illness, but, you know, well, for some areas of the critical illness, they, they would be covered for some of the conditions, but they would just need to be very clear as to what could potentially lead to um, an exclusion on the set that's being offered by the, by the employer. Um, something just before we go on to treatments and different things like that as well because that will obviously be something that um, advisors really need to know about but in terms of 
So something we find quite interesting um, is that generally we, we tend to find that the longer that somebody has diabetes, the higher the loadings are going to be. So this is just sort of like an observation, not one that I'm expecting you to sort of like come back with. a. Oh, it's a okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the longer that somebody's had it, um, the, the more likely they are to get high ratings. I think because of the fact of, I think sort of like the, the body has been kind of having this kind of battle for so long in terms of the insulin and everything that they're probably thinking that, as we've mentioned, with all the different aspects and it affecting all aspects of the body, that the body is, is probably working quite a bit harder than for somebody who isn't, um, who doesn't have um, diabetes. But then on some occasions, we found it where there's maybe been an insurer gone, well, actually, this person's had diabetes for 20, 30 years. So probably somebody who's diagnosed at a much younger age. So they've had it for 20, 30 years. Every, all the readings are, in a sense, perfect for what we would want them to be. Um, there's been, you know, they've obviously really engaged with um, doing the different things that they can do in terms of lifestyle and any treatments to make sure that they're okay. So actually what we'll do is we'll say that if there was going to be anything, any of these kinds of, what I'd say maybe kind of the red flag complications, we'd have probably already seen them developing by now. So what we'll actually do is we'll reduce the loading now. So I think it's one of those things, as with anything, probably very unhelpful in many ways, but it's probably that thing of, as an advisor, don't make an assumption as to what you think might happen because somebody's had it for so long, you know, just because you've maybe experienced it one way and um, before it's not necessarily going to be the case every time and with every insurer so it's always worth having having a natter with an underwriter it's always good to have a natter um, <laughs> um absolutely right. i mean i i agree it's um it, it's really a function of the way that underwriters relate age um to premium i think i think that's probably why sometimes there are these discrepancies um the complications um, are absolutely key. One of the points I would make is, though, that I, I certainly I've seen um, uh, clients or clients' clients who have had immaculate control throughout mm -hmm. their life, have no complications, are in, let's, I can't say 50s and 60s, but probably late 40s, and um, the, the community, the, the sales community feel, God, well, that, that guy must be absolutely brilliant, or lady, um, standard rates. Yeah. Very, very unlikely you will get standard rates, even on somebody who has had very good control and is, no, is not showing symptoms. Because unfortunately, to use, uh, I won't mention Dr. Brackenridge's great comment again, because I'm, I'm sure yeah. it's a bit of a, too, too much of a mouthful for everybody. <laughs> um, but whatever, there will be some damage it might be at a micro level but there will still be some damage to the arterial system yeah um so there certainly people will certainly get a decent rating in comparison with other diabetics but please don't expect standard rates for life insurance yeah absolutely um so when it comes to treatments what would we be expecting for someone with type 1 diabetes what would you be thinking oh yeah expect that and would there be anything that you think that maybe makes me think it's possibly stronger you know, than I, I was expecting. Yeah, in terms of, in ter I mean, we're talking type one diabetes, we are, we are talking about insulin, okay? So yes. in, in use, the use of pumps, et cetera. Um, there, there's two types of insulin really. Um, one that is um, taken really um, late on at night to keep your, your insulin stable while you're asleep, et cetera, long lasting insulin and there's also a, a short-acting um, insulin which is taken just before you have a meal 
to help your body control the uh, the release of glucose into the into the body with because of eating. Um, everybody is different. Everybody is different, and therefore, um, I have not seen um, underwriters or underwriting guidelines um, where they would differentiate between different types or different levels yeah. of um, of insulin going into the body. The absolute key is that control. And that the, 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 the clients or the diabetic looks after themselves properly. And that's one of the key questions that the, um, the GP or the diabetic nurse would be asked. Um, and signs that people aren't looking after themselves properly, taking the insulin at the right time. Um, it, it, of course, uh, hyperglycemic attacks and hypoglycemic attacks. The, in terms of underwriting, hyperglycemic attacks are um, where there's too much yeah. sugar. Um, is the one that, that, that starts to get, starts the red flag, if you like, it's a bit of a red flag if you have too many of those. I mean, the, the, the challenge again, I think with, you know, if, if you think of children, little, really, really tiny children who have got diabetes, how difficult it is for, for them. They can't speak, for goodness sake. How are they going to say if they feel ill or anything else mm. like that? Therefore, it's very much of a, par- a part of the parenting role to make sure that that, Blood sugar was controlled, and of course, when people again, when people get into their teens and twenties, and they, they want to live an unrestricted life mm. in terms of alcohol, in terms of smoking, in terms of eating, in terms of snacking, and therefore, it's quite difficult to keep those types of um, as, as a group, an age group. They are, that's quite often where damage is done mm. because they don't really look after themselves. I'm talking group statistically here. I'm not talking about everybody, obviously. Um, so, again, rather than the the actual levels of insulin, as long as they are being taken regularly and the control is taken seriously, then the type isn't so much a factor. Mm. That's really how I would uh, I would view that from an underwriting perspective. Okay. As I say, everybody's different. So you're going to get different level, levels with different people. And as long as the control's good, good. Just good news. Fantastic. Does that help, Catherine, on that particular it question? It does help. Thank you. Because I think sometimes a big thing as well for advisors, though, is, is knowing what to ask. And like when we're hearing medications and things, you know, the work that we do in the class that we have, we're very used to the, the names of medications Absolutely. and different conditions. Yeah. Um, but even so, sometimes people will say them to you just like, what now? <laughs> you kind of start thinking. So at least we know somebody with type one diabetes is essentially just probably wanting to know what's happening. Do they have an insulin pump? Are they having to use injections? You know, that's probably that's the, probably as far as you want yeah, to go. We don't Again, need to go any further. Using your question skills, um, try and t- without irritating the client. Obviously, yeah, okay. is going to be asking several times how control is how the control is. Absolutely. Well, I've got a case study now to share. Um, I'm just sort of coming towards the end. Um, so the case study to share with everybody was, um, this was actually a case that was done during uh, lockdown. So just to prove that you can still get cover for people with health conditions, even while all the restrictions have been in place. And um, I have to say, it is absolutely lovely to, to see so many insurers that are now starting to remove the restrictions. Uh, just yeah. hope that that carries on going. And I hope obviously that everything just carries on and is, just generally anyway in society that we keep moving forward in a much better place. But anyway, so we um, we spoke with a male in his early 40s last year. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes almost 30 years prior to that, and he used an insulin pump. 
So what's quite interesting and from what I can gather is that um, the insulin pump is something that is usually fitted more sort of like when there's a, a specific health need um, rather than obviously using other methods to get the insulin. But however, for this person, they were very sporty and active. So it was decided the insulin pump would work best for them. And it worked quite well to be able to explain to the underwriters, look, this is why he's using the, the insulin pump rather than the other methods and it helped the decision. There was some potential for the mild background retinopathy. So that was what uh, Matt, you were saying was sort of like the hardening of some of the arteries around the back of the eyes. And he had been in hospital for one night um, when the insulin pump had stopped working. So, so, you know, from the grand scheme of things, when you're answering those questions, um, when you get to the application, this is one of the reasons why it's so important to do a lot of pre-sales research and speak to the underwriters beforehand and during um, the, their assessments of the cases. The fact, you know, we've got somebody here with diabetes, they're on the insulin pump, they've got this, retin you know, starting aspects of the retinopathy, they've been in hospital due to the condition, but they're all kind of, they're all very light as well in many ways, the things that had happened. So whilst they may seem as a bit of a standout thing in the application form, um, it's really important to provide the context to the underwriters. The other thing was that this person had um, Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which um, had been identified that just needed an ECG at some point and um, they'd seen an abnormal heart with them and that had been corrected through a procedure known as an ablation. So for this person, we um, were looking at 383 sorry, 380,000 of decreasing life insurance over 25 years um, for the mortgage. And that um, ended up being a price of around 65 pounds per month. And the income protection, um, there's a couple of aspects to that for me to, to sorry, talk through. So for this person, um, we ended up with the income protection. So it's 3,000 pounds per month um, that um, was over 25 years to take them to their retirement age. It had a 13 week deferred period, a two year claim period and the price was just under £70 per month. So what's interesting, a couple of things to mention with this one is that we did have terms for the full claim period for the client, but unfortunately due to affordability, the client decided to go for the time being for the two year claim option. And I can sort of like feel probably advisors going, oh, I don't know if I'd have done that. I don't know if I'd done that kind of thing. Um, so one of the key things for us with this client is that obviously we gave them the options. And a big thing for me is that it's incredibly important to inform people of what's available. But at the same point, you also have to be realistic. And, you know, there are certain points where the insurance can become too expensive. And it's better to find something that adapts the situation to the client than them walking away with no protection at all for that specific need. But what was interesting about this one is that we could have got the full claim period at a much cheaper price than um, what was originally suggested. However, there would have been an exclusion for any claims relating to the diabetes. So an interesting thing about this is that you may look at it and, it, and also it always comes down to the advisors kind of probably their, um, their gut feeling. But ultimately to me, it's important to give the client both options and say, this one over here will pay all the way to retirement age, but it will exclude anything relating to the diabetes. And we've already said here, that's probably going to be anything related to the heart, the eyes, the feet, the kidneys, um, potentially strokes, cancers. You just don't know, um, depending upon the situation. Or you can say to somebody, for the same price, you can have this one. It will cover any claims relating to your diabetes, but it will only pay out for two years. And there's pros and cons to both, but ultimately, I just think it's very important to make sure that you are giving the client so they can make that informed decision themselves. I hope you agree with me, Matt. 
No, I, I do indeed. I think it goes back to the principle that we talked about earlier, that something is better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and well done you for getting that placed. That's all I can you know. It's, it's good. It's yeah, good. It was a really, really good option for the, for the client. Absolutely. And they're obviously very, very happy with it. Um, you know, because obviously I think a lot of the time people would look at things and think automatically and in some places, you know, think diabetes and coffee as well. There's not just the diabetes here. There is the, the, as I said, there is the background retinopathy starting. There is the fact that they had the Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. So even though he's, if that's been corrected, it was still something involving his heart. There's lots of things that have been involved um, in this case for this client. And I think a lot of people probably assume um, that income protection just wouldn't, would have been a no-go from the start, but it just shows that sometimes it is still worth asking one of the things that I always train um, my team to do is, you know, sort of like if, if somebody is wanting a specific insurance, that's all well and good, but do the research for everything and yeah. make sure that you give the options in a sense for everything, because then at least they can really see what's in front of them. And it's also really good for you because whilst you're asking an underwriter and chatting to them about one insurance type, you may as well ask them by the others at the same time. It's yeah. all then done in one go when you increase your knowledge but um but there we go so that's um that's the podcast for today so thank you mate it's been really lovely chatting to you and i'm really happy to to hear that you managed to get that nice break the other day, even though it was a bit rainy i'm glad <laughs> no th well thank you for inviting me as always it was um just, just one little thing um at the end of the uh, of the podcast is that i hadn't realized but it's uh, it's 100 years this year that insulin um was was discovered in the context oh, wow. of diabe diabetic treatment oh that's amazing so prior to that really if you had type 1 diabetes you wouldn't you wouldn't and you wouldn't live very long oh that's yeah at all, because there was no there was no insulin but it's 100 years this year that um since insulin was uh, as i say used in the treatment of diabetes so uh, i thought i'd mention that absolutely no that's brilliant thank you for mentioning that um that's really good um it's just amazing, really, to think that 100 years ago, because I mean, obviously 100 years ago feels like forever ago, <laughs> but at the same point, it's still, it's still relatively quite recent. You know, you start thinking of all the people that will have not had chance to access that. It's, it's quite... You know, yeah, and, and, and it was fatal. Yeah. You, you know, there was, there was no middle ground to it with type 1. I'm afraid you'd die very quickly. So, um, yeah, it's... it's, it's um, for me, anyway, <laughs> yeah. it was an interesting fact, I have to say. No, absolutely. Well, I'm going to be back in two weeks time with Alan and we're going to be doing a masterclass in critical illness cover. We've done the life insurance, we've done IP. So now we're on to the critical illness. So if, as always, if you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please do drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And what I will also say as well is that if you've not seen it so far, I'm sure you probably will have done if you've seen my social at all. I am launching an advisor training program um, covering lots of different bits. Um, the website is adviceforadvisors.co.uk. I've got it on social. Have a look. And I think this is the first time I've been able to say this as well, um, is that the podcast is now sponsored by Octo members, um, which is brilliant. And they are now doing certified CPD certificates for the episodes. So um, we're getting that all up running and sorted and um, just adds an extra bit to anybody who's listening, obviously, who is to do with the insurance world. It can just add a little bit of extra to your training. So thank you very much for joining me, Matt. Thank you. It's a pleasure as always. Bye. Bye.